You're listening to episode number 89 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. The only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. From Joes to pros, we've got the tools to make your cycling goals a reality. And now here's your host, Coach Rob Manning. Okay, welcome to episode number 89 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. I'm your host, Coach Rob, the gravel guru, and I've got a great show for you today where we're going to discuss top training tips for your next gravel grinder adventure. But before we get to that, a couple of quick announcements here. The Tailwind Coaching website, blog, the online training plan store, and my episode show notes receptacle are all available at tailwind-coaching.com. And if you want to get announcements, new post alerts, coupon codes, training tips, and all that kind of good stuff, you can sign up for the Tailwind Coaching newsletter at tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up. Don't forget, if you like the podcast, head on over to iTunes and rate it five stars. There is a link in the episode show notes at tailwind-coaching.com slash 89. Helping move the podcast through the ranks is one of the main goals of this so that I can get this information out to more people. The more people that get to listen to this, the more people get to ride their bike and enjoy it a little bit more. And that's what the Tailwind Coaching Podcast is really all about. If you have questions for me about this podcast or about anything in particular, you can find me on the website. You can follow me on Strava, on Instagram, any number of different places. Head on over to the website, look on the upper left-hand corner, and you can find that. Or you can email me, coachrobdc at gmail.com or coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com. And finally, if you want to support the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, you can always do some of your online shopping through Amazon, through one of my Tailwind Coaching links. Head on over to tailwind-coaching.com resources, and you can do some of your shopping there. And, you know, it doesn't cost you anything, and it helps support the show, hosting, bandwidth costs, and things like that. And, of course, if you're looking for a training program, one of my downloadable programs, you can take 10% off with the discount code PODCAST10 at checkout. So... Let's get down to the meat and potatoes of the show today, and let's introduce top training tips for your next gravel grinder adventure. Now, it should be pretty common knowledge that gravel grinders, gravel riding, etc. has become one of the more popular uh, divisions of cycling as it is right now. Events like Dirty Kanza, um, Way back when, when Tour the Baton Kill was a pro-am race and now is, you know, a, a gravel grand fondo, for lack of a better description. D2R2 and uh, recent things that have come up like Unpaved PA or Monkey Knife Fight, things like that. These things have become huge in the cycling community. Not to mention the fact that on a weekly basis, people are starting to venture off paved roads, off the common path, and they're just turning down the road less traveled, looking for a little bit of adventure, a little bit of safety, a little security from the, the mad, mad world that we have out there. Now, whether you're really riding a dedicated gravel bike, which, by the way, the industry has come leaps and bounds in the past you know, a couple of years in terms of technology and in terms of what bikes can do. I mean, just all you have to do is look at 2018 Sea Otter Classic to see that 
Well, Sea Otter Classic used to be a mountain bike show. And then for a number of years, it became a showcase for bike companies and component companies to show off road bike equipment as well. Well, 2018 Sea Otter Classic was almost exclusively the gravel segment, right? Now, again, I'm not one of those people that's going to clamor to say, listen, you got to go out there and buy a gravel bike. There's plenty of ways to experience the adventure and the thrill of off-road riding without going and dropping a few grand on a new bike. Granted, a, a new bike is a great motivator and it's one of the motivators that I've used this year to ensure that I want to be outside in, in what has been a absolutely, utterly brutal summer here in the Northeast. But I digress in the fact that gravel grinding and gravel events and gravel riding has become not just really a niche part of the sport anymore, but a large portion of the sport. And I think part of the reason why is because it's it's simply fun. It's just fun. And gravel grinder events, as they grow and progress and become more popular and more prominent in the cycling scene, well, they they require a little bit different training theory than your average road ride and your average road race. So let's get into that. Right? The first thing, getting dirty on the gravel can be a pretty simple affair, to be honest with you. You can take any road bike and you can ride it off-road. It's about as simple as that. Now, there's going to be people that tell you, you, know, you can't do that. Why would you do that? You don't want to take a road bike on dirt roads and gravel roads. You're going to flat and you're going to have punctures and you'll break rims and bullshit. <laughs> Back when I was regularly racing at Battenkill, <clears throat> I did a tune-up ride here in the Hudson, uh, here in Hunterdon County called Hell of Hunterdon. Now, Hell of Hunterdon was... You know, 70 at the time, I think it was like 76 miles and probably about 20 miles of that was dirty, nasty, gritty gravel roads in Hunterdon County that had just come off a winter season of snowplows, salt, um, you know, vehicular traffic, snow tires, things like that. More than one occasion, I rode Hell of Hunterdon and this is not... Not to say it's smart, but it can be done on 19 millimeter tubular tires. The first time I raced Battenkill, I raced Battenkill on 19 millimeter tubular tires. I did not flat in any of those cases. In fact, I've had more flats on regular pavement than I have on gravel. Regardless of the tire, regardless of the wheel, I've never broken a wheel, I've never broken a bike, I've never broken anything save for a saddle on gravel. And I've been riding gravel roads for, God only knows, probably about 10 years now, right? So, getting dirty is a pretty simple affair. However, if you really want to look for a new bike and looking into that gravel segment, now is one of the best times because technology for that mixed surface kind of riding is essentially moving at such a pace that you can get incredible value for your dollar right now. 
right? If you're not interested in going out and dropping a bunch of money on a gravel bike, you can still make some changes to your regular road bike. And those changes will help make everything a little bit more forgiving. So number one, setting up your gravel bike. Well, bike setup itself is an intensely personal thing. And any cyclist will tell you that, that you know they don't want to jump on a bike that's not theirs. But because you're suddenly riding on rougher conditions, rougher terrain, there are a few things that you can go about doing that'll help maximize your comfort and thereby maximize your performance gains for any gravel event. And one of the first and probably biggest things that I've found that helps in terms of a gravel riding situation is actually switching your tires to a tubeless setup. Now, hear me out on this because I know a lot of folks don't like road tubeless and for the most part, I'm not a huge fan of road tubeless as it applies to tarmac. However, as it applies to gravel, we're talking almost a completely different animal. On gravel with a tubeless setup, you have a significantly reduced risk of flatting because you don't have a tube to pinch in between a rock and your rim of your wheel. Now, it, it's pretty much impossible to pinch flat on tube, uh, tubeless wheels. Any of you who ride tubeless mountain bike wheels will kind of know this, that if you're going to pinch flat a mountain bike tire that's tubeless, the, the tire is probably more than likely toast anyway, so it wouldn't matter what the case is. However, one of the other benefits of a tubeless setup is you can really run a larger volume tire at a lower pressure. It creates a larger contact patch, and it creates a certain level of comfort that is not generally common on road tires. Now, it's interesting to note that on the road side of things, a lot of professionals, a lot of regular racers are going to larger volume, wider tires. Whether they're using tubular, tubeless, or regular tubes, they're going to the larger volume tire. Part of the reason has to do with lower rolling resistance and less, uh, you know, less loss of efficiency and things like that. But that's a completely different podcast. But in addition, the use of tubeless allows you to use a sealant within that tire. And that sealant can keep you rolling even if you do have a smaller puncture. So if you do run over a piece of glass or a staple or something of that nature, generally that sealant will plug that hole before you even know you have an issue, right? It's just an additional level of protection for that tire. Um, it goes without saying, though, if you're running tubeless, carry a tube with you anyway, because, God forbid, you do smoke that tire, you need to find a way to get home, and in many cases, if you're gravel riding, you may not be somewhere where you have cellular reception. So carry that tube with you, a tubeless valve tool is also a pretty good piece of equipment to have, and a pump, of course. But generally, anytime you're out, you should be having a flat kit of something, some type of way, shape, or form, right? Now, when it comes to choosing a tire for gravel riding, it's, again, a very personal thing. A lot of folks opt for a semi-knobby type of tire, um, something that has a smooth center ridge in it, and some shoulder knobs to help grip through rough terrain. Tires like these offer you a really, really nice compromise in between tarmac performance and gravel traction. 
For the most part, a lot of gravel rides will have a fair amount of road included in them, and you really want something that has some fairly good uh, smooth rolling resistance. You don't want to basically be riding mountain bike tires on the road. It's Believe me, it's not something that's even remotely fun. And now the next thing to think about would be gearing. And gearing is something that's a little bit different compared to road gearing. Uh, you want to probably opt for something a bit wider range. Um, so if you're usually using a standard road co- uh, crank set, go to a semi-compact. If you're using a semi-compact, consider going to a compact crank set. If you're using a compact crank set already, consider going with one of the really, really wide range cassettes that are available out there. Some of those cassettes can go huge ranges, and that's that's usually your best option if you can't change your gearing at all. But the reason you want to consider a lesser or lower end gearing is because you really will have a higher uh, resistance on the tires and on your gears on gravel. So you'll really notice not having those lower gears. So this is also something that's really different from road gearing, which if you've ever read my choosing uh, crankset gearing article, that's something you might want to take a look at. But remember... That assumes that you're on tarmac all the time. In this case, because of that increased rolling resistance, you're going to want those lower gears. Now, there's also something to be said that dirt roads tend to be constructed by engineers who were more than likely idiots, (laughs) and they go straight up hills in the weirdest way. So you tend to have a lot of really steep gradients on dirt roads as well. Um, There's plenty of times when I've run across a road gradient of 14, 15, 16%, and you realize the surface is still unpaved. So you really do appreciate those lower gearing choices in that case. Now, for a couple of other quality of life tweaks, you can add thicker bar tape for better vibration damping. That's something that has been common practice throughout the professional ranks on events like Paris-Roubaix and Strada Bianchi and the Ronde van Flandre and things like that. Anytime you have significant significant vibration through the bars and through your bike, fatigue will begin to set in and take its toll. So you really want to try and avoid as much fatigue as possible. A little bit of extra bar tape or even cushioning under your current bar tape can take some of the zing out of that ride. And of course, You can always add a couple of cool things to your bike. If you're using electronic shifting, for example, you can have remote shifters, uh, especially on the tops of your bars or in the drops, wherever you find that you like to climb on your bars, a good place to have some additional shifters. So you don't constantly have to move your hands off the bars, especially in a situation where you might not have the best traction and you really need control. So things like Shimano Di2 has remote shifters. They have the the climbing shifters. They have the climbing button, which goes on one shifter. SRAM has things like the ETAP blips, which can go pretty much anywhere. And those are great, great tools to have. So take a look at them, assuming you're using something like an electronic shifting system. Now, once you get your bike dialed in, 
You're ready to roll out the door. You go out, you hit your first gravel roads, and you realize, oh man, this is this is nothing like a regular road ride. So what do you need to do? What changes in your fitness do you need to make if you really want to roll and crush gravel like a boss? Well, let's talk about that now. The number one thing, and again, this goes with any of my training programs. I've harped on it on the past, and I'm going to do it again. The number one thing that you need and the biggest success, the biggest key to your success as a gravel rider is your muscular endurance. Muscular endurance is essentially the ability for your legs and your muscles to put tension into the pedals for long periods of time without fatiguing. Lack of muscular endurance, especially on something that requires high pedal tension like a gravel grinder or a gravel type event, will essentially lead to fatigue, cramping, and bonking. It's not something you really want to be dealing with when you're out in gravel back roads in the middle of nowhere, right? So, if your body's ability to resist muscular fatigue while under pedaling tension is muscular endurance... How do you go about building this? Pretty simple. You're going to go out. You're going to do intervals. 15, 10, 15, 20 minutes, 25, 30, 35, 40 minutes, however long is appropriate for your fitness. Low cadence, high pedal tension. Now this, in the case of a gravel grinder or a gravel training, this might simply mean you go out, you find a gravel road, and you just pedal one harder gear than usual. Or, even if you pedal the same gear you were pedaling on tarmac, you may find yourself in that muscular endurance zone, right? The more often you're going to be on gravel, so the more, the higher the percentage of your ride or event is actually unpaved, the more muscular endurance you will need. So, for example... If I'm training somebody for, for example, a Medio Fondo, let's talk about Grand Fondo, New Jersey's Medio Fondo. It's about 66 miles. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,800 feet of elevation. There's a couple of stiffer climbs, but overall, it's a lot of rolling and up and down. That particular person really only needs muscular endurance for maybe two and a half hours give or take, because you're going to figure that during this event, you're not going to be under pedal tension for most of the time. Sure, maybe 60% of the event you'll be under heavy pedal tension, but there's plenty of descending, there's plenty of riding in groups, there's plenty of soft pedaling on flat type roads. You're not hammering the whole time. Now, take that same 66 miles and 3,800 feet elevation. Put maybe 20% dirt roads into it, and suddenly your demand for muscular endurance goes through the roof. You should be able to be under tension for probably three and a half hours at that point. Because not only are you going to have to be constantly under tension for those gravel roads, it's going to require a lot more muscular endurance to handle gravel than it will to handle tarmac. You see what I'm saying here? So, because of that, 
How do you throw intervals in there two, three times a week? Basically jump out there and start doing muscular endurance work, low cadence, high pedal tension. The intensity can be anywhere from sweet spot all the way up to VO2 max. Remember, what you're looking for in terms of muscular endurance training is cumulative time under tension. All right. And a good benchmark for that is minimum of 40 minutes per session broken down however you need to break it down in order to be able to recover and do it again. So with muscular endurance out of the way, what is the next most important part of a gravel training program? And well, it's pretty simple. That's aerobic endurance. Aerobic endurance is really just another way of saying that you can go long. In reality, aerobic endurance is your body's ability to take in air through your lungs, diffuse oxygen into your bloodstream, and deliver that oxygen to your working muscles in order to maintain a specific power output, right? A specific wattage. Now, a lot of you are listening to that definition and you're saying, but wait, isn't, isn't that your FTP? Isn't that your functional threshold? Well, yes and no. FTP is really just a very specific level of power that your body can maintain before it becomes predominantly anaerobic. So what that means is FTP is the amount of power your body can produce in an aerobic state where it can constantly supply oxygen, constantly clear lactate out of the muscle cell, and is constantly in balance in that it is not exhausting your glycogen stores, right? Aerobic endurance is simply one of the most important things for a gravel grinder training program because, in general, gravel grinders tend to be longer duration events, all right? Look at things like D2R2. Look at things like uh, Monkey Knife Fight, Unpaved PA, um, Dirty Kanza. Dirty cons is 200 miles if you're doing the, the full. Right? D2R2 is a century. Vermont Six Gap, which that has unpaved portions of it too. That's, that's a century. Bat and Kill is 70 some odd miles nowadays. The, the only real like well-known gravel grinder here in the Northeast that I can think of that's less than like... 50 miles would be Rasputitsa. And, and what that lacks in distance, it certainly makes up for an intensity in time of year. But if you think of, let's think of Dirty Kanza, who I've had some athletes perform very well at. That's a 200-mile race. 200 miles. That's a lot of mileage to produce power for, and it requires a lot of endurance training. In order to get significant amounts of endurance training like that there's a couple of ways you can go about it the, probably the easiest way is simply putting in time on your bike um, now if you're thinking about well if i want to get some extra time out of that you can consider doing functional threshold intervals um, you know that's the traditional two by 20 minutes around your functional threshold power and there's a great article which i'll link in the episode show notes tailwind-coaching.com slash 89 um, on building endurance training and how to build additional endurance. But one of the biggest things to, to keep in mind here is that as you add volume and intensity to your training, 
you will be building aerobic endurance. The most important thing to consider is when you're building intervals for an event, especially a gravel event, is you need to be able to handle endurance training for the amount of time you're likely to be out and on the bike. So if you're talking about Dirty Kanza, you better be able to ride your bike under some kind of tension for probably seven or eight hours at least, probably closer to 12 in a lot of cases. So 12 to 15, something of that nature. I know it's crazy to think about, God, I'm going out and doing a 10 or 12 hour day. A lot of people will do that. For dirty cons, a lot of folks do that. So aerobic endurance, number one, one of the main keys anyway, to successful gravel grinding. Let's move on to something a little bit shorter and a little harder, and that's VO2 max capacity. In the past, I've talked about VO2 max capacity as a critical part of your endurance training. The idea that raising your VO2 max is raising your fitness ceiling, and that's a requirement in order to handle more intense efforts and to raise your functional threshold power. Well, that remains true. Right? And there's a couple of posts linked in the episode show notes that talk about that. Now, it's also true that VO2 max is partially genetically determined, but in most cases, we haven't trained enough to access or hit that genetic limit. Uh, so we're really only ever using a certain portion of that VO2 max capacity at any given time. Um, and training-wise, our functional threshold is only a sustainable percentage of whatever that VO2 max limit is is. So if you need more endurance capacity, you need more VO2 max capacity for those steep gravel climbs and that intense, highly resistant gravel riding, you need to raise that fitness ceiling and you need to be able to handle going into the red more frequently. Now, in the case of a lot of events where you're riding for a placing now, riding for a place can be something like Dirty Kanza. You're going to need that VO2 max capacity in order to handle accelerations in the group and things like that. Changes in pace, changes in terrain, things like that. However, if you're talking an event like D2R2 or a Grand Fondo or Monkey Knife Fight or Unpaved PA, something like that, VO2 max capacity is going to be important just to be able to get over the climbs and over the difficult sections of that event, all right? You have to be able to handle going into the red zone in order to crest a 12, 13, 14, 15% dirt road climb. If your body is not trained and not used to going into that red zone over and over and over again, you won't be able to recover from those multiple efforts. You'll find yourself flagging and burning out before you even get finished. Right? If you could only cope with two or three big red zone efforts, what happens when there's seven or eight on any given ride? Right. In order to cover those bases, you need to work both shorter and longer duration VO2 max efforts. You also need to consider working on VO2 max repeatability. Now, VO2 max repeatability is not quite the same as you would find in a road race or a criterium race. In terms of a criterium, 
you're going to be thinking VO2 max repeatability in terms of Tabata type efforts, 20 on, 20 off, 40 on, 20 off, and we're talking seconds. Quick, hard accelerations followed by shorter rest periods. That's not what repeatability is about when it comes to gravel events. When it comes to gravel events, repeatability is simply the ability to handle longer duration VO2 efforts more frequently. So what am I talking about here? We're talking about those three-minute intervals, those five-minute intervals, seven-minute intervals, seven or eight-minute intervals. Those intervals are the kind of efforts you're going to see on most gravel grinders. You're not going to be attacking a group and coming back to it for the most part. Now, for the most part, repeatability here is the ability to go into the red, hit 115% of your VO2 or of your functional threshold power, all right, we're back to that FTP number again, hit 115% of that number for five minutes, recover as you come over the top of that climb, and do it again 10, 12, 15 minutes later. Again, recover and do it again 10, 12, 15 minutes later, all right? So it's just repeatability in terms of longer duration VO2 max efforts. Yeah, there's still some benefit in those shorter Tabata type efforts, those 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off, or those 2020s. However, you're not going to see a lot of that in terms of most gravel riding, right? You're better off with those longer duration VO2 max efforts, the three, five, and eight minute intervals. And again, intensity is relative to the length of the interval. You simply aren't going to be able to perform a eight minute VO2 max interval at the same intensity as you would a three minute interval. So use your judgment in that case. If you're using my zone four, five, six, seven power test protocol, you have your maximal durations for your zone four, five, six, and seven efforts. And you can correlate those very, very easily into those three, five, and seven minute efforts three, five, and eight-minute efforts, if you will. As a general rule, three-minute efforts, I generally have folks perform at 120% of their threshold, five-minute efforts at 115, and eight-minute efforts at about 110% of threshold. All right, so that's typically where we're at. Next thing you need to consider when we're talking gravel grinding is muscular strength. Not muscular endurance, but muscular strength. Are the two related? Sure they are. Everything that we're talking about is inherently related in some big tangled web here. But muscular strength and muscular endurance are two very, very different things. However, they're very, very intimately acquainted with each other. Muscular endurance is your body's ability to resist fatigue for those muscle fibers to contract and relax and contract and relax over and over and over and over and over again. Strength is simply the ability for those those muscle fibers, that muscular force to go into your pedals. They're both critically important to your success as a gravel rider, but they really train very differently. I mean, it, it makes sense here. If you can't put power to the pedals... You can't put force into the pedals. You can't add force over gravel roads compared to tarmac roads. You really can't make good time. 
right? And if you don't have the endurance to push through those multiple dirt and gravel segments, well, you certainly aren't going to make good time, and it's just not going to be a fun ride. Muscular strength, because its sole focus is the amount of force you put into the pedals, changes the way you basically execute intervals. These intervals are going to be shorter. They're going to be extremely high intensity. Now, those of you who spend time working out in a gym, I'm looking at you track riders, you're going to understand what muscular force is very easily or muscular strength is. That's your squat strength, the ability to squat down with a bar on your back or in front of you, whatever the case may be, and push it back up. Strength is simply the ability to move a heavy load, right? And the heavier the load, the greater your strength. So the intervals you're going to perform on the bike tend to be similar to single leg presses. We're talking very, very high resistance, very, very low cadence. I've heard of folks call it walking the bike uphill, where you're simply trying to engage as much of your lower body musculature as possible during each pedal stroke in order to push the bike uphill or over gravel or whatever the case may be, right? Another important thing to consider where muscular strength matters is that we'll get to technique in a minute, but in terms of technique, you generally ride a larger gear and a slower cadence over unpaved sections. And the reason why is if you really try to spin, especially up a climb, which is is loose and kind of gritty, there's a higher potential for your wheel to break free, right? You put a lot of torque into that wheel really quickly and it just kind of spins and you lose traction. That gets into pedal stroke work and choppiness, but that sudden high burst of torque is really part of the issue. So generally, we shift to a harder gear and a push a lower cadence with more force through the pedal, right? Remember, power is simply force times cadence. So faster cadence leads to lower force for the same power, higher force, lower cadence. The higher force, lower cadence tends to be a lot smoother, and that tends to make life a lot easier on you when you're climbing. But if you want to be able to do that, you have to have that strength and force capacity. So force intervals, I tend to do them as one or two minutes at a time, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 125 to 150% of the threshold, with generally complete rest in between. You want to be able to execute good quality intervals in this case. You don't want to simply be, "Eh, I'm just going to go knock these out in the next five minutes and it'll be good. No, you want high quality work for your force or strength intervals. And again, you can repeat these quite frequently as long as you're able to recover from them. If you're doing gravel training, especially on gravel roads, by the nature of your rides, you're probably going to be getting this kind of training. But if you're doing it on a trainer, you can set really specific interval goals for it. Now, a minute ago, I talked about pedal stroke smoothness. This is something that most people tend not to think of because, well, it's gravel. Nothing on gravel is smooth. Well, it's not true, okay? Watch guys, watch professionals racing over dirt and gravel roads. 
races like Strada Bianchi or sometimes the Giro d'Italia goes off road. Um, even the Tour de France has gone off road, if you want to call it off road, onto the cobbles more frequently in recent years. Guys on those roads, especially the pros, can look very, very incredibly smooth. And that's about their pedal stroke smoothness. One of the main goals of that pedal stroke smoothness, along with that muscular strength or muscular force, is keeping your rear wheel glued to the ground. So when the going gets slippery, really, the smoothness of your pedal stroke and the strength that you can put out into the pedals is really what keeps you going and keeps you from spinning out. Now, I've talked about the benefits of pedal stroke smoothness in the past, and I've done that a couple of times, and I'm going to include those links in the episode show notes for this particular episode. Again, tailwind-coaching.com slash 89 for those links. But as a quick short bit for this, in the previous post, I, I have talked about why pedal stroke work was important. Um, in most cases on tarmac, the idea is to minimize power losses that normally would occur as muscle fibers begin to fight each other a little bit, but it changes a little bit on gravel and dirt roads because on smooth roads, the more efficient you are, the more power goes into the pedals, the more speed you get out of it. Um, in the case of gravel roads, it really is more about keeping the wheel underneath you, keeping the power on the road and keeping it from spinning out. Um, really, because the looser the terrain, the more tenuous uh, the coefficient of friction, the more likely your wheel is to spin out. The more carefully you have to be and the smoother on your pedal stroke you need to be, right? The smoother you are, the less opportunity for breaking past that coefficient of friction with a surge of torque, and the less likely it is that you're going to lose your forward momentum, whether it's flat, whether it's uphill, downhill, etc. It's hard to lose forward momentum going downhill unless you fall over, but if for some reason you do break it loose, it's going to be tough to get it back. The best example of what it's like to break a wheel loose is probably experienced by using a rear wheel driven stationary trainer or turbo trainer, whatever, what have you. Basically, if you are spinning along, you suddenly shift to a harder gear and you stand up and you stomp on the pedals and sprint, that rear wheel can sometimes slip. You lose power to the pedals, you lose forward momentum, right? By really evening out how you apply power to the pedals around that pedal stroke, you can minimize that wheel slip, you can get that wheel to grip again, and suddenly you're back in business. That's very, very similar to a gravel climb, All right? You're pedaling along, you're grinding away, you go to stand up, and as soon as you stand up, that first pedal stroke, wheel spins out from underneath you, you lose your momentum, and suddenly you have to put a foot down. The smoother your pedal stroke, the more efficient you are at applying force to that pedal stroke, throughout the pedal stroke, right? The less likely it is that that sudden surge of torque is going to break that wheel loose, right? So how do you work on efficiency like that? And because it's a very specific 
thing to work on with a gravel climb or a gravel road, how do you do it? Well, the basic intervals for pedal stroke smoothness and efficiency are things like those super spins, spin ups, and single leg drills. Those are all really, really handy. However, one of the things that really separates a good gravel rider from a non gravel rider is someone who will go out and will practice riding at different cadences, different force applications on gravel roads, especially climbs. So, find a gravel climb. It doesn't have to be steep. It can be shallow. Go out. Practice riding at a certain constant pace, tempo, cadence, whatever, you know, what have you. And suddenly, add more power to the pedals. Try to break that wheel loose. Understand what it's like and what it feels like when you're about to break that wheel loose. Now, once you've done that, go out get into that same pedaling cadence, tempo, force application, etc., etc., and instead of trying to break the wheel loose, try to keep the wheel planted. Gradually, well, I say gradually, but prolong the part of the pedal stroke where you add force. So if you're jumping up on the pedals and you're stomping on them and sprinting from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock on that pedal stroke, for example... Start adding that force at about that 11 o'clock and try to carry it all the way through that 6 o'clock position. The same amount of force applied over a greater amount of time creates less of a spike in torque and generally will spin the wheel less. You follow? Intervals like that can be done pretty much anytime you're on gravel. You don't have to be doing a specific workout in order to do it. You can do it pretty much any given time. And that's one of the keys to really understanding how to ride gravel is getting out, getting on it, and practicing these simple concepts, right? Now, I know that's a lot of kind of nebulous information, but if you dig through and you use these tools and techniques in order to handle gravel riding a little bit more efficiently, you're going to find that suddenly those off-road adventures are a little bit more fun, whether you're on a dedicated gravel bike or your regular road bike, right? Guys, I want to thank you for listening. Again, head on over to iTunes and rate the podcast on iTunes if you like what you hear. If you have questions for me, which I'm sure you do, you can email them to me at coachrobdc at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook or you can find me on the Tailwind Coaching website. Until next time, folks. Keep the shiny side up, keep the rubber side down, get out there, take the road less traveled and explore something you may not have. And I'll be talking to you again real soon.